The UN Declaration of Human Rights Article 1 All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. But does this mean that we are all the same? Why is it that we find different norms and morals across geography and time, yet call everyone human beings? Welcome to our show, serving knowledge on a plate and helping you to grow on Radio Radiate. I'm your host, Dario, and today we'll be tackling the question, is there such a thing as human nature? For some, the question of human nature is a simple one. To quote notorious ideology critic Slavoj Žižek, humanity is okay, but 99% of people are boring idiots. As you will soon see for yourself, however, the man who will today take us deep into the abstract realm of human nature is certainly not one of these 99%, as much as that may upset the Marxist inside of him. A cultural analyst with irresistible energy who likes a whiskey with his discourse, I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Franz Willem Korsten. Now, people are often referring to different things when talking about human nature, so it's by no means one-dimensional. Uh, today we'll be looking at least two main dimensions, the first one being human nature as innate ideas. Uh, the notion of innate ideas refers to capacities that are hardwired into every human being and are not learned through experience, for example, the capacity to walk or to speak. Um, so is language part of human nature? Yeah, that's a good question to start with. Um, language is one of the, of the riddles, the big riddles that we have if we think about, let's say, how humanity developed itself, we simply have no evidence whatsoever um, when people started to talk. The scale in which and the complexity with which people use language is immense. And if I say use language, it's in a sense putting it wrongly. That's, of course, how people tend to think about language on a daily basis. But actually, we are the strange animal that makes itself through language. And so the riddle then is, we didn't make language in a deep sense, in a kind of almost essentially, a language is making us. This is, and this is related, of course, to the problem of uh, innate ideas. Um, innate ideas would suggest that there would be ideas before language. Um, I could not think of any conceivable way, conceptually speaking, of, of accepting that option. But you can look at this, let's say, uh, both historically in the sense that human beings become the modern human beings that they are, homo sapiens sapiens, as soon as they have language. And it is through language that this being is made. So it's a kind of, it's a sort of a loop that you can also trace individually. Uh, so you're born as, as a being, an animal, uh, that can kind of develop itself in many ways. I mean, there's, there's stories about this and a few historical examples that children are brought up by other beings than human beings, for instance, animals. What you see then is that they develop the language of these animals or that they develop no language at all. So if we take that back to the, to the possibility of innate ideas, that would be impossible if you accept the, in my mind, fact that our mind is made through language and that, let's say, there's an enormous flexibility about what the brain can do if it's programmed differently. Uh, if I can give one other example, at the moment there's more and more children who at a very early age uh, work with iPads or other kind of one of these things. This might be an enormous revolution that next to kind of language programming their mind, there is an enormous amount of images that might be able to do the same thing. There's a few studies now suggesting that, for instance, autism, which is kind of rising rapidly, 
might be connected to the fact that their brain is is programmed more through visual strategies and, and, and structures than language structures. And then you see, if, if this is the case, of course, then you see how this kind of uh, enormous power that we have in this brain of ours, that, that it can develop itself in radically different ways. Let's say the very idea of innate ideas, to me, would make very little sense. What would you make out to be the main function of language then in that case? Again, if, if we follow the logic of what I've just been saying, it, it might just be the other way around, that we are, in a sense, the function of language, um, which would connect to uh, several theories that have been developed in the last 50 years or so, most importantly by a French philosopher, Bernard Stiegler, who says human beings themselves do not exist naturally as long as we know they have been living prosthetically in relation to technologies. So, for instance, uh, let's say if we take another example, the car. So you could say, what's the function of a car? Well, it would be to kind of bring me, preferably as fast as possible, from one place to another. But Stigler would argue that the very invention of the car also automobilized human beings. Right? It's not that we use the car and stay the same. As a result of the car, we become other beings. We start to behave differently. Um, we start to connect differently to this thing. In a sense, thinking about it in terms only of it's having a function misses the point that the technology works back on the very um, system and, and quality and nature of human subjectivity. Then the function is, at this moment, to turn human beings into social and cultural human beings, which is to say that as a result of language, they can become part of the collective machine. But is there not an argument to be made that the main, or one of the main functions for language is to enable thought, which you have already alluded mm -hmm. to? So is it thought? Is it communication? Is it uh, collective cohesiveness? I think uh, I think uh, it's it's all that together. So now that we've had taken a look at innate ideas, second realm, human dispositions and morals. Yeah. So, for example, Hobbes and Locke, they have uh, diverging views on the human condition in the state of nature. Yeah. But both agree that there's such a thing to begin with, right? So do humans have natural dispositions and morals? So is state of nature defined by greed or cooperation? Yeah, both. Um, <laughs> just today I read a beautiful uh, article <clears throat> reflecting on the violent nature of mankind. Now there is really a lot of research uh, in which people have been studied who go to war and then they, they trace or they count how many soldiers actually fired their gun. So if, for instance if we take the Second World War, what would your estimate be of, of soldiers that are really in a fierce fight? How many are shooting? Percentage-wise. Percentage -wise. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. I don't want to undercut you, so... No, no, so, so, so what do you think? <laughs> Maybe 70%? 70, yeah. It's 12. And it is unbelievable because we are trained with all these fictions of mankind being violent. The majority of soldiers is not firing because they refuse to fire. You have to train them, which has happened since the Second World War, specifically to overcome that almost kind of inborn tendency not to kill someone else. Almost. Right. Almost inborn. So apparently, clearly we are an extremely, we are capable of extremely violent behavior. Um, that violent behavior becomes much more easy uh, as soon as we'd, we put violence at a distance. So in a sense it's way more easy to kind of use artillery or, or an aeroplane or what have you 
But face to face, people have great difficulty killing one another. So Hobbes and Locke had clearly some sort of fantasy. If if you put people in a in like, let's say some sort of natural environment, I mean you'd have to tell me what that would be, let's say fairly basically, they tend to operate collectively, cooperatively, because that kind of ensures their survival. Okay, I'm surprised to uh, hear this answer from you because I had anticipated that as a cultural analyst, um, you know, someone that's deeply involved in culture, post-structuralism, how does social constructivism come together with these notions that you just laid out? In the, in the sense that you can see certain impulses or let's say um, an animal that, that has a tendency to organize itself in a certain way, but the, the, the forms in which that kind of is shaped are not predictable beforehand. And so what are the limits of social constructivism? When do human beings stop being socially constructed? Well, to what extent can I think, they be socially I think constructed? two answers. First of all, we are socially constructed. That's what we do constantly. But at the same time, there's, there are essential traits to, to the human. Always difficult to, to talk about essential traits. Let's say we do not have testimony of societies in which there's not some sort of form of power distribution. So clearly that's how we organize ourselves. So would you be willing to construct a society without power? I think that would be chanceless. Chanceless. I mean, impossible. That would be a limit, right? The, the real question, of course, is how do we deal with this power distribution? And, and there's clearly things that you can construct. Let's go into the capitalist experiment. That is clearly an experiment with a certain, a certain distribution of power, with those who gain and those who lose. That wasn't there before capitalism. So you, so you see, let's say, the power of manifold technologies, technologies of the self. So how do we construct a certain human being that will function within that capitalist machine? That human being isn't there. We have to construct it in a certain way. We have to program it in a certain way. At the same time, the human being is constructing the same system that is shaping Absolutely. Itself. That's why I think, let's say, thinking about this in terms of kybernetics and loops is extremely important. Which doesn't mean that you can't get out of the loop. I have an, a nice quote, um, which I would like you to respond to from Noam Chomsky, a fierce advocate of the notion of human nature. He says... It is tragic that the left has accepted the idea of humans as historic products because what follows from that is that there's no moral barrier to molding them any way you like. If it is not fundamental to their human nature to be free, productive, then there's no moral reason for allowing them that space. Mm -hmm. So does denying human nature legitimate mass manipulation? That kind of the left has uh, fallen into the trap of saying that human beings can, man can be manipulated in, in, in any way, is in that sense correct that we can be manipulated in many ways, but not in any way, as history proves. So there's human beings that li have lived for hundreds of years with the, with the given that they were slaves, up until the moment that they revolted. I think it's way more fruitful to think about, let's say, the enormous flexibility of human beings and then ask, why did we take this route? And how could we get to that other possibility? So if, if I'm in favor of much more equality, 
how am I going to kind of bring these people that have so much to a position in which they will say, yes, it's, it, it might be more fair to kind of share this with others. And is equality, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, these are obviously prerogative terms by now, <laughs> or creativity. Is that somehow essentially human? I mean, at some point, Slavoj Žižek started to, to write way too many books, but there's one... Uh, passage that I really like so you see then he's talking about freedom of course you have let's say this famous distinction between negative freedom and positive freedom that you are free to do what you want and that you are free from others who block you in a sense right then he says that has nothing to do with freedom that still supposes uh, an intentional uh, human being that knows beforehand what choices he or she is going to make and then he gives the example of a, a famous uh, action of Maradona the the soccer player, the Argentinian soccer player, against England. There's one goal in that game that became uh, known as the Hand of God goal, but he means the other one, where Maradona is at some point surrounded by three English players. And then he makes a pirouette, and suddenly he is out of it, and he goes on his way to the goal and he scores. And, he, and, and then Jesus says, that pirouette is not an invention beforehand that he thinks, oh, I'm being kind of counted by three English players, what shall I do? No, it's, but it's, it's such a period that he gets out of the situation. And that, to uh, Zizek, is, is the clear paradigm of freedom. Well, so is there human nature? Uh, no, there's a human capacity, a human potential uh, in uh, human beings being a specific animal. I mean, we don't have wings, um, and 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 we can swim underwater for a couple of minutes, but but no longer than that. So clearly, we kind of have this potential. If you would kind of rephrase it like that, there is a clear, distinct human potential. I would agree. If you would say, if you are saying there is human nature in the in implying that there is an essence to human beings, I would fundamentally disagree. Well, one thing does dictate all human beings, though, and that is that all good things must come to an end. And so on this note, I'd like to thank you for being with us, Professor Corsten. Today we started with what looked like a simple question, yet quickly fell into the depths and complexities of reality. And so we leave you with food for thought. Psychologist Donald Hebb is said to have once answered to the question of nature or nurture with a counter question. Which contributes more to the area of a rectangle? Its length or its width? <laughs>